0: Welcome to the Curious Body Podcast, brought to you by the Pilates Foundation. The Pilates Foundation is a not-for-profit organisation that supports and promotes our community of innovative and passionate teachers. If you'd like to hear more about the Pilates Foundation and our upcoming events, visit www.pilatesfoundation.com or find us on social media by searching Pilates Foundation. Welcome to part two of My Boobs Tried to Kill Me Twice, with Mel Coupland and myself, Cat Proudfoot. We left off last time with Mel at the end of her radiology treatment and at the beginning of her scar tissue release work, not knowing the next part of her story. We have so much we wanted to include in this episode that I've tried not to ask too many questions of Mel. However, Mel will be teaching an online class for Pilates Foundation members on Sunday the 18th of September, specific to her experience with breast cancer and Pilates. You'll be able to book that through the Pilates Foundation website shortly. We'd love you to join us, and of course we'll offer a Q&A session. But if you're unable to make that date, please do email me at cat.proudfoot at pilatesfoundation.com. I'll make sure I include that in the show notes. And I can ensure we ask Mel your questions for you to catch up on on the recording. I also just wanted to mention that we do discuss surgery and injections in this episode. And although we don't go into great detail, you may wish to know that this will come up. So without further ado, I hand you over to Mel.
1: We jump forward to 2020 and the pandemic hit us all March, 2020, two days after my son's seventh birthday. Yeah. Mm. So um, I like along with many of you was thrown into a world of Zoom teaching and homeschooling. I must say, I was not convinced Zoom was gonna work. Um, And I started just teaching just 30 minute classes, Mm. six people in, I was just taking it really easy. Um, and obviously at the same time, I was now homeschooling a seven-year-old, which, uh, what can I say? (laughs) Those of you that have done it will know exactly what I mean. There were good days and there were bad days, but we got through it. We did a lot of walking in those early, (laughs) (sighs) get out, get some fresh air, get out of the house, um, and exploring the neighborhood that we lived, um, in areas that we hadn't been before. So that was a real positive. Hmm. And it was a Saturday morning, and I was in the shower, and I found a lump this time on my right breast. And this time I was not procrastinating. I was straight on the phone to the doctor on Monday morning, 8 a.m. You know, even during the height of COVID when you couldn't see a doctor. Of I, I told the receptionist I'd found a breast lump, um, and I got a phone appointment back from the doctor by eleven o'clock. And again, no messing around with my history. She said, "No, I'm referring you straight away for a mammogram, straight away from for an ultrasound." Um, yeah, so mm-hmm. it all started. Again, I'd had my last mammogram in August, so it was nine months since my last clear mammogram. Yeah, so. Um, they did another mammogram. They did an, another ultrasound. Um, I won't go through those because obviously if you've listened before, you'll know all about those. But mm-hmm. this time they put a red clip in. And I thought, okay, yeah. So they said they put a red clip in to find the lump again. And this should have told me again what I needed to know. But I think a little bit of was trying, still trying to hope it wasn't anything. And I waited those seven to 10 days. Yeah, before I had my appointment with my breast surgeon um, again. And again, I was told it was... Mm. Um, Colin was allowed in this appointment in the hospital and it was obviously face-to-face. But from this point onwards, I would be on my own. He wasn't allowed um, to attend any of my following um, appointments, tests, surgeries, all because of, obviously, COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, so I think, like I've said, well, like I said before, breast cancer under 50 is rare. So I was 46, so breast cancer twice under 50. Yeah. Yeah. The numbers on the lump, the histology on that the lump from the biopsy came back as actually they were both virtually similar um, cancer markers, um, which again um, is they would expect it to be in the same breast and the same cancer, but obviously different in a different Mm. breast is again, rare. So um, yeah. And this time I had a little bit more family history. They hadn't really taken my family history into account last time because it was all on my father's side and they tend to prefer, not prefer, they tend to take more account of when it's on the maternal side. Um, My father had had or had died of prostate cancer and we knew right first time that his mum had had breast cancer but actually I'd found out from family later on that she had actually died of ovarian cancer so yeah uh it depends how much you know about some of these mutations that you can get to your body which um causes or comes down in families um, but obviously, the three that actually quite often go together is breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and prostate cancer. Um, and then to top it all off, um, my grandmother's father was born in what was Prussia, so the Prussian, the Polish-Russian border, and he was of Jewish origin, um, and that if anyone knows anything about some of these genes was sort of the clincher. So in the normal Caucasian population, you have a one in 400 chance of having a mutation to a BRCA gene, which is one of the the genes Uh, in the Jewish population from Eastern Europe, that drops down to a one in 40%. So, yeah, so I was tested then for a mutation to not just your BRCA1 and your BRCA2 genes, but your PL the two check two uh, genes. So I had four of my genes that were, mm. were tested. They took bloods and I was referred to um, a genetic counselor. Um, we all have these genes in our bodies and the mutation is a little bit like a computer code that's gone a bit wrong. Mm. You get 50% of our genes from our mum, 50% of our genes from our dad. So siblings can have different genes Um, Yeah, so I had a 45-minute conversation with a, you know, genetic counsellor telling me, obviously, what would happen if we found a mutation to one Mm. of of those genes. They want a lot of, obviously, family history. Um, Yeah, so my piece of advice would be you need to know your family history. I know a lot of people don't talk about these sorts of things, but you need to know... Uh, your parents children aunts uncles cousins you all of those genes are interconnected and they trace all of those back if you've got a mutation yeah, yeah to really pay attention to it but we don't
0: we don't know that until it's almost too late
1: I think think it's obviously it's becoming much more in the forefront Mm. these days. Um, Obviously, I don't think when my dad was diagnosed and his mum was diagnosed, these things weren't were in their infancy if they were. Yeah. Isn't it? So we all know that we all say that things are passed down from families. But yes, that, you know, they obviously are in a big way, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so the bloods were sent off for to be checked for the mutation to those genes. Um, and in the meantime, I was booked in for exactly the same as I'd had before, um, a lumpectomy. And then I was potentially to have a radiotherapy and go from there. So the same treatment that I'd had previously. So I wasn't worried. I knew what I'd done before. I knew... surgeon I knew the people I'd be dealing with I wasn't worried about doing these things yeah by myself I was fairly confident and in some ways I was a little bit like well perhaps I can do this all a little bit better this time because I've got more knowledge um as well so I had to travel over to Guildford for my surgery our local hospital was um, a Covid hospital so they weren't doing surgeries there um, and I had to self-isolate for two weeks before the surgery. Or um, well, the whole ha- family had to self-isolate for two weeks. We mm. weren't of the house, yeah. <laughs> and what kind of, what kind of time was that then? That's April. So this would have been, my surgery yeah. would, would have been, was the beginning of June, was the 6th of June. Ah. So it would have been those two weeks sort of before the end of May. Yeah. Yeah, so very early on in the pandemic when, yeah, yeah there was a a lot of, Everyone was very worried, very worried about COVID.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Which, you know, thinking back, it's like that was a time where it was almost normal to be isolating and isolated, um, but uh, a a scary time to be having to do it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yes, definitely. Yeah, so this time they did a bone scan. Um, So they injected a radioactive isotope in and then I had to come back three hours later and they did a scan. Um, I also had to have a CT chest and abdomen and pelvis contrast scan to make sure it hadn't spread. Mm. I have obviously my pre-ops and uh, COVID PCRs. (laughs) Yes, a lot of COVID PCRs. Mm. And um, the day before the operation, again, I had to have a sentinel node scan. So even though I was self-isolating, I was still back and forward to hospitals Mm. in um, two weeks. Um, So as I said, uh, James had only been three when I'd had my first surgery and he was now um, seven. So we obviously told him um, what was going on in a little bit more detail um, this time because I'd had to go through it twice. Uh, never really talked about the first surgery except maybe a year or so afterwards we'd just been out one day and he came out with um do you remember when you had bad blood and I knew exactly what he was thinking back to it was when I had the drain in the little tube and you could see all of the fluid and blood into the tube and that was his first surgery and I guess he didn't like it because when i told him i was having another surgery um, mm. and way through the one thing that's upset him is the fact that i've had to have the drains again and he doesn't like that yeah well that's his overriding memory memory yeah journey that we we've been on yeah so yeah as i said i wasn't really concerned about the surgery i knew what i was doing um I uh, went in obviously for the surgery and this time it was uh, lateral to my right areola and they just went in and did an incision and took the lump out and actually they took the two lymph nodes the one above and below so I only had actually one incision site this time Um, so actually my right arm was not affected at all this time. Um, I didn't need any pain meds. Um, I was fine. I just obviously just carried on after um um uh, about nine to fourteen days. They obviously removed the drain. Um, and that was when I started to get a problem. I started to get that my boob started to feel hot, it started to get bigger, it was swollen, it was tender to the touch um we were really concerned that obviously I had an infection Mm. Um, I did see my surgeon um and we decided it it was just what they call this aroma it was a build-up of fluid underneath the skin that obviously um if the drain was still there hopefully would have drained out but because I didn't drain it had built up built up and under um I went to see um the ult- uh, an ultrasound lady took a syringe, syringed in, and uh, drew off 250 mils of fluid um, from my right side. So there was quite a lot of fluid buildup that had happened. Yeah. Um, and it was such a relief when she did that. I mean, the the relief straight away was just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I can yeah. fall back on, which sounds silly, but. I I had had to start wearing, um, yeah, like bra tops because I I just couldn't get yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: but that's in, in something that's so abnormal to you and what you're going through. That's it's almost like a security blanket and uh yeah. What, what we know, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think it's um fairly common that you get in. Infect well, buildups of seromas, infections obviously happen and obviously other things can uh, all part of, parcel of surgery, aren't they? So it, yeah. it, it is fairly, fairly common, I think. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, the, the histology came back on that lump a couple of days later and we had clear borders, which was fabulous. <laughs> but unfortunately, the two lymph nodes both had cancer which meant I had to go back in for more surgery and they wanted to take more of the lymph nodes out this time from under my right armpit. So two weeks later, I was going back into surgery, back into self-isolation and then two weeks later. So on the 10th of July, I then had um, five lymph nodes taken from under my right armpit it looked like, a, I have to look at these things immediately after, I'm sorry. It yeah. looked like a star had been cut underneath my right armpit. I was a little bit like, oh my goodness me, how am I going to deal with this? Wow.
0: Um, so quite quite large, as in like armpit size or small within the armpit. I'm trying to picture. Yeah,
1: so, <laughs> yeah I can't show you. Yeah. Just, Describing. they're not there anymore in the same way does that make sense yes we have photos and it is a lot of it is sort of some of the it's not actually a star shape it yeah. is actually just a single line but i think from where everything's being pulled around uh, like puckering yes it looked like a star shape but yeah. all through that sort of axilla so it looked like the whole mm-hmm. area mm-hmm. under that armpit yeah um Yeah, so I'd had five taken out from under there. Mm. Um, It was obviously really very painful. I was getting nerve pain down my right arm and the whole area felt like it was swollen. Um, And it's a very, yeah, it's very scary. That buildup of fluid um in your all the way down your arm is lymph or can Mm.
0: be
1: and it's a very real risk for anyone that's had any lymph nodes removed and that's any lymph nodes at any point you can develop lymphedema so even though if you don't develop it immediately it can happen months and years down the line so it is a constant um risk really at any point Uh, because those lymph nodes aren't there the fluid doesn't drain and move around properly and tend to sit down in the bottom of the arm um and there's not much that can be done about it it's a condition that you will have to to live with yeah so i was very concerned about the swelling um and actually they they measured i had a 0.5 centimeter difference between my right arm and my left arm um, mm. they they measured it all up and measured it in the same places on each arms to make sure they were getting um, the same spot. My surgeon wasn't concerned about it. It was it's quite obviously a small amount. Um, and he put me on um, some amitriptyline, that nerve pain um, yeah, so what you need to know then really is people that have had lymph nodes removed, they suggest that you don't have your blood pressure taken from that side. They also suggest you don't have an IV or a cannula put in that arm either. So, yeah. Because
0: it's not pumping, well, yeah.
1: the lymph around
0: the
1: yeah. body. So it's, it's, not, not gonna... it's not moving as well. So it yeah. can't deal with some of those extra pressures. Yeah, um, obviously, um, anaesthetists will use that arm because if you've had both sides, which I had, then stuff done to they they will use. They'll tend to use the side that's had the least amount of lymph mm-hmm. nodes taken and the longest time away. So yes, they now use my left arm. Um, to do that, Um, they do sometimes take your blood pressure from your legs. And I guess in the same way they would put a cannula if you'd had um, all of your lymph nodes. So you have about 30 lymph nodes under each armpit. Yeah, so, yeah. I still had a drain. They put another drain back in, back in exactly the same hole they'd taken. Mm. It was, it was excruciating. it was, yeah. Even now, even like a couple of years on, that drain site on that right side is almost wrapped around that point, if that makes sense. Almost as if where they've twisted the tubes in and almost the the fascia spiralled around. And sometimes I can still lie on that side and I think, oh, that's that's Mm -hmm. not... Yeah, Um, but it's nothing I can yeah i'm picturing
0: almost like um a screw that sounds awful but like yeah they've just got to wangle it into place in some ways haven't they like jam it in and the fascia (laughs) is actually going to resist it and go
1: no (laughs) when you think about you know the tube's gone in under my armpit and then all the way under the boob that's quite a long way to sort of twizzle Mm. something in and then twizzle it out and then have to have two of those yeah you can imagine what that's done all internally isn't it yeah. yeah and that
0: just in my brain I you know ask me about the armpit stuff I always have to picture it but um like the childlike brain goes to this oh it's just going into a void and you're kind of wiggling it through this space there is no space in there <laughs> no,
1: no, no and they've not and I, I again I don't know I'm assuming they've not cut all the way through for it to go in easily they've made an incision on the surface and then they've just uh, pushed it all the way through isn't it and oh. it probably along the way because that's what you would do isn't it yeah um I'm assuming I don't know but that's what it feels like has happened that something's spiraled in and spiraled out does that make yeah
0: which makes also makes me think about um clients I suppose who have had that and I'm particularly a, a friend of mine had um ah oh, the name will come to me in a second but well she had cancer when we were 18 and again when we were 21 and she had to have lymph nodes move um ah oh, It like I said it will come to me it's on the tip of my tongue um and yeah just things like even because we were young you know going and trying on dresses and stuff like that and not being able to lift her arms up or this dress being uncomfortable on those points where she probably did have you know anything you know any kind of tubes coming out of you um it's just really making me think of that and then clients if you you know put them in certain positions like you said about not being able to lay on your your side yeah
1: um
0: that's not necessarily a a temporary thing that's
1: yeah
0: that's going to go on for
1: I can can absolutely lie on my side but Mm. often you know how you wiggle yourself around and it gets to a point point, I think oh I can still That that. that's not right that's still there I still know that's there
0: yeah staying with you yeah 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 (sighs)
1: so (laughs) back on those five lymph nodes and two of them still had cancer Wow. So I knew that there was a good chance that I was going to need chemo. Um, so a week later, I saw my oncologist. So this would be towards the beginning of August, at the end of July, the beginning of August. And I saw my oncologist and he had some of the tests come back. Um, so my ProSigmA test came back with an immediate risk in Luminal A. And that meant I needed chemo and well, that chemo would be effective on my cancer. So they wanted to do chemo. We didn't have my genetic test results back, but um, yes, I needed chemo. Um, You're saying with the timing of that mail, it's just really making
0: me, you know, so many of us were enjoying some kind of freedom again, but it, not everyone <laughs> going through all this, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I'm going to try and get these names right. So hmm. um, epirubicin yeah, and cyclophosphamide were my two chemo drugs to start off with, to have every two weeks for three cycles. And then I was to go on for a weekly cycle of paclitaxel. And if my genetic test came back positive, they would add 12 cycles of carboplatin to the paclitaxel. There is literally no time to get your head around this information. I was given a tree load of paper about each of their drugs and their side effects. This was a Monday. On the Thursday, I was going in to have a chest port fitted. And the following Monday, I would start my chemotherapy. Mm. So the Thursday, I was booked in to have a port a chest port put in. Um, and I was advised to cut my hair to jaw length. Um, if I was going to use um cold cap, yeah. So in June, I'd had a lumpectomy. Four weeks later, in July, I'd had my auxiliary nose clearance, and four weeks later, in August, I was going back under a general anesthetic for in the airport. So that's four in probably oh my goodness, yeah. Anyway, so um. A chest port is fitted under a CT scanner. It's a two centimeter, slightly raised injectional, injectable port, which is placed under the skin. Mine was a couple of inches below my left collarbone and a tube from the port then is inserted up in, into your vena cava, into your heart. And actually, you probably can't see, but you could see my, my um, tube go over the top of my collarbone and behind, down behind. Right. Uh, Um, yeah and at that point um, until your uh, portacath is embedded again you can't do any raising of that Um, you need to let it embed into place for a couple of weeks Um, yeah was uncomfortable not necessarily at first but definitely Mm. at the time I did notice it restricted obviously the range of movement of turning my head and obviously my arm um yes I yeah I could feel it yeah it was a very weird sensation yeah yeah so my chest port was fitted on the Thursday and then on the Monday I started my first cycle of chemo I had opted to try the cold cap um, to try and keep my hair. I was asked to turn up at eight o'clock on a Monday morning over at Guildford. And the first thing they do is weigh you. I was then taken into um, a room, into one of the oncology rooms. And I was sat in an oncology chair uh, with an infusion pump next to me. Um, There was actually space in the room for three people to be treated and then each of those people to have a visitor with them. But this was COVID, so there was just me and one other lady in the room. We were both wearing masks, and the nurses were not in their normal uniforms. They were in uh, scrubs, masks, disposable gloves, and aprons. Yeah, so normally you would be able to walk around and go get yourself a cup of tea. We were not allowed to. Oh, yeah, move around either obviously we we were allowed to go to the toilet but they brought us cups of tea coffee any of those sorts of things that we needed but we were there yeah so mm. yeah so first of all they take your blood pressure they take your temperature and then obviously they want to take your blood so then is a uh, needle was imported when the needle was <laughs> inserted into my port <laughs> and it's clipped and held in place and then taped down um, and a little tube comes off, which they plug in to take three to four vials um, of blood, which is obviously sent off to the lab and you have to wait for obviously your lab results to come back, um, which probably took an hour or so. It depends how busy obviously the lab is. and. Um, My bloods came back and my neutrophils were low. Um, And this is a whole new world of information and things you need need to pay attention. Your neutrophils are your white blood cell count and they're obviously important part of your immune system and how your body fights infections. Anything above a 1.5 and you get chemo. Below a 1.5, it's up to the oncologist if you get treatments. And below a one, they will not give you treatment at all. It's too too low. And yeah. what,
0: what do they do? Do you know? As in obviously they don't give you the treatment, but is there something that you can do to boost them?
1: Yes. Yeah. So they'll send you away for however long it would be. You know, at this point in my chemo, it would have been two weeks. Um, at some points, it would be in one week, and they will give you yeah. injections then to boost. Ah, uh, okay. Pills. but yeah. yeah, yeah. So mine were was actually a one point four nine, which not a good start. <laughs> <laughs> They're not, very, but obviously, I'd been through three surgeries, so I think yeah, probably why they were were a little bit low to start off with. But they were they they decided they were going to go ahead. It was it's still enough to go ahead with. So. They needed to set me up with the cold cap, first of all. And this is a refrigerating cooling system that they put um, on your head Um, by cooling the hair down. They hope that the chemo doesn't go into the hair to kill it off. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, I needed to be attached to this machine 30 minutes before treatment started. So you need to get all the way down cold before they start. Um, your infusions so they put um, some sort of cream on your head to protect it a little bit it's tucked into a cap that's tight on your head a little bit like um, a swimming head you know a, a swimming, yeah, swimming cap, cap yeah. tight it's then pulled super tight underneath your jaw and then a tube's attached to the back big machine next to you's turned on and a cold I'm gonna assume it's liquid goes in and into the cap and moves yeah. around your head. Oh uh, all,
0: all of <laughs> it's just like you're being plugged into all these different machines. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um for me it, it it was cold, but it wasn't unbearable. Mm. Um they put sort of tissues. I think the places that it gets quite unbearable is it comes quite low down on your forehead, obviously around your ears and around the back of your neck. The area is probably where your hair isn't at that time. And the lady that I was with chemo with that first time had suggested um, you get a hairband to go around all of those areas so the cap rests onto the band rather than next to your skin. So we've right. t- um like tissues underneath so none of it was actually touching my skin in any of those areas so it was definitely cold but it wasn't unbearable in any way I know a lot of people do find it it is too much and I think that probably depends on mm. you, your body temperature and how you react to cold anyway but actually it, yeah. it did feel it did feel fine um but yeah, so then I was given what they call support medication, steroids and several anti-sickness uh medications. Um yeah, one of the anti-sickness ones, they um have to inject in very slowly. Mm. Makes you feel like you've got all that very itchy, prickly. <laughs> is all the area that you're sitting on goes like really itchy and tickly it's a very strange sensation and then it stops it literally masks for a matter of seconds but if they put it in just very slightly too quickly you're like all scratching ah. everywhere yeah. definitely yeah oh <laughs> yeah, so i had to wait 30 minutes obviously for the cold cap to sort of kick in and then they obviously put a saline flush in, check everything's going okay. And then I was given the apiraban, uh part of my treatment, which is known as the red devil. It's a red fluid, which is syringed in by a nurse. Um, if a apirabicin leaks into your vein, it damages the surrounding tissue. It's, yeah, that... Mm dangerous that they can't have it injected in by normal um, pump it has to be done by um, administered by a nurse so she sits there very slowly with two enormous syringes just very very slowly injecting those in probably uh, 45 minutes to an hour she was there doing these two syringes um it doesn't feel like anything yeah Mm yeah yeah and then obviously you have another saline clear everything through and then I was hooked up with the cyclophosphamide was attached to the infusion pump and then that's just set on its way you know and and it's administered over an hour and then you have more saline I then had to sit there for 30 minutes uh with the cold cap still on and running and then it was uh, unplugged um yeah so this is obviously going over lunchtime into early afternoon. You've been there for long. So obviously I had, hours. Yes. I had lunch. I'd chosen a lovely crusty roll um, for lunch, but the cold cap the strap on it was so tight I could hardly open my mouth to eat my crusty roll. Uh, oh. <laughs> challenge. And I didn't have a crusty roll again for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then when the cap's taken off, I was given a bag of medication to take away, more steroids, more anti-nausea medication, um, and I was given an injection to boost my neutrophils um, before my next uh, cycle of chemo. So this was an injection which we had to keep in the fridge and on Wednesday I had to have that injection, yeah. You're also given information, um, emergency numbers to call if you have any major side effects um, and immediate access to a if you do have yes. a temperature. A temperature is what they're obviously concerned about is that you you've developed an infection and a temperature for a chemo patient is over 37.5. So not what many of us would call mm. a temperature um and yeah so yeah so it was about three o'clock in the afternoon by the time I was finally allowed to go home um and I felt okay I was obviously I was waiting to be nauseous I was waiting to be sick you know the the side effects that you hear that a lot of people go through Mm. I was almost expecting them to start quite quickly um but I went home, um, I went to bed early, um, but sleep eluded me. I um, can only describe the sensation, which I know now is the steroids, of fizzing. I was literally, yeah, everything was just fizzing. I, yeah. Your, bo- it, your body was busy? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I just, I learned to get up and just go and watch TV and wait till I felt tired. Cause there's no point, you know, you lie in bed for ages, but this is, you know, I developed um, ways of dealing with this over time. And in the end I did get sleeping medication from them to have on that Monday night so that I did um, get sleep, but it, it is all um, a new, a new world. Um, you, you don't know what side effects you're going to have until yeah, what's normal. Yes, so you just have to play it by ear. I mean, obviously the next day I was tired. You know, I did take to napping in the afternoon, which, you know, did become the norm. But I still managed to get out and um, walk the dogs for those next couple of days. Um, So this was August 2020. It was that week that was well up into the 35 degrees um, that I had my first chemo um and I thought I was doing well it was the summer holiday so I was still trying to entertain James on the Wednesday Colin gave me my injection of my neutrophils and that has to be injected into the fat of your stomach not into the muscle Hmm. it it did hurt I did complain every time yeah
0: (laughs) so not not just him but the process (laughs) It wasn't Colin's fault. I did
1: complain every time he had to do it. And I did oh, okay. I did have to have a lot, as you'll hear later on, but he didn't actually get better. But I did <laughs> have one done by one of the nurses, and it was just as bad when she did it. So it wasn't he had poor technique. <laughs> you can let yeah, it, it was not good. Yeah. <laughs> so it was that first week. I thought I was doing really well. That, the Thursday morning, I did a thirty-minute Zoom, and the evening I did a thirty-minute Zoom. Um, I was feeling okay, but the next morning I just could not get up. I um, just turned over, went back to sleep, and I just every time I woke up, I was like, "No, I got to mm. go back to sleep." By lunchtime, Colin came up and he was checking on me, what I wanted for lunch, but I was like, "No, go away. Mm. I need to, go to sleep." Um, and by early afternoon by the time James was home from school Colin was like this is you know and even I said to him it's not right I this isn't you need to speak to my nurse Mm -hmm. and um so he phoned them up and the next thing I knew I had a plate of food in front of me and water and I was told in no uncertain terms I had to eat something and I had to drink Mm -hmm. something and I had to drink two liters of water he's given me a liter and then he said I'll be bringing you more um Mm -hmm. I did eventually finally get up and I did start to feel better. And I did drink, you know, my two litres of water. And that is the one tip I would have for chemo is you have to drink two litres of water every day. And anything else is on top of that. Mm. And from that point onwards, I made sure I drank two litres of water um, every day. You have to help your system flush through and flush out
0: mm.
1: what's going on I think it was a combination of the fact that the weather had been so hot and it was my first chemo and it was just one of those things and luckily I didn't have any issues afterwards but yeah and I'm kind
0: of picturing like the viscosity of everything in your body as well to pump everything around um, especially if you're already dehydrated and you're dehydrated probably from sitting in hospital for however many hours yeah. you know on yeah. the i think you said it was the monday or whichever i was i i mean it was more visiting people like the hospitals are always so hot anyway it's the middle of summer <laughs> like
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah i can just picture the viscosity of it moving around i think that's why the cold cap actually probably didn't feel so bad because yeah. i have taken into account the temperature was probably so much Hotter in the room and outside as well actually that felt quite nice yeah at the time anyway it was a lesson learnt. drink your water is my top tip yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway so I the next week went by fine I taught as normal um the second chemo was went exactly the same as in the process um, uh, but I didn't have any side effects through the treatment and obviously the next couple of days. But by that Saturday morning, uh, when I had the shower, everything happens in the shower for some reason. Yeah. It's uh, just time on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was when my hair started to fall out and mm-hmm. it's started to fall out in handfuls and I hadn't really expected it and I had a tennis ball size ball of hair in the drain. It was coming out literally in handfuls as I was um, combing and then drying my hair. Um, Mm. It felt strange for the few days beforehand, I would say my head had felt sore, you know, like someone had been pulling on your hair and the root all feels sore and it felt a bit um almost tingly and i think that was probably the hair starting to die mm. um yeah wow. and it, it upset me i i had never really thought i'd be upset by my hair falling out but actually it was one of the few times that that i that i did cry um that initial um time
0: yeah it sounds so sudden and I think we don't you know of course your hair is part of your makeup because that's what people see of you it's what that people recognize of you and it just sounds like that was so you'd done what you could for it to not happen
1: yeah
0: and all of a sudden quite well, I dramatically think, changing you
1: No, know, I, I I suppose I knew that if I hadn't had the cold cap my hair would have Mm. falling out and that's fine i think because i was having the cold cap i had hoped yeah that i would lose my hair but i wouldn't have lost it in such a dramatic way i think it was, yeah. that it was very dramatic and i wasn't expecting it yes i was expecting my hair to thin um yeah but not just such or what seemed like such a huge amount you have a lot more hair than you think you have yeah At the time, it feels like a lot of hair, or it felt like to me, a lot of hair coming out. Mm. Um, Yeah. Anyway, so I went into my third session of chemo, um, which was now the beginning of September. And we'd finally got the results for the genetic test, which had taken eight weeks to get those results. Mm. I, I had tested positive for a mutation to my BRCA1 gene. I am a mutant. I'm not <laughs> an but I like to think I could be an X-Man. But yeah.
0: <laughs> an ex-woman.
1: Oh yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, some big decisions uh for the future, really. Um it meant I had an uh, 80% chance of a recurrence of my breast cancer. And it meant I had a sixty-five percent chance of getting ovarian cancer. Mm. Um, so those are really high, high numbers. Um, but you know, we had talked through all of this with the genetic counselor. So you know, we did, uh, we did know these things. Obviously, how
0: incredible that they offer you that counseling service. It just sounds incredible.
1: Yeah. Uh, Sometimes you don't know these things are around until you go through them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we immediately added the carboplatin to my chemo routine. Um, I had to think about having my ovaries removed. Um, So um, they like to... If you have a mutation to your BRCA gene, they like to try and remove your ovaries by 35. Um, so they weren't giving me any choice. They had to be wow. removed, yeah. Ovarian cancer has no screening. And because mm-hmm. it has no screening, it's obviously caught often too late. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, because of the risk was so high, that would be... Once I'd finished all of my other treatment, that would be now tagged on to the end. And then obviously I had um, a choice. Um, I could for the breast cancer, I could have yearly mammograms, um, yearly MRI screening um, for breast cancer. But having had cancer and waiting for scans and going through the scans and the, as lots of people describe it, scan anxiety, the anxiety, mm. wait- for me, I think you're waiting not to find out that you're clear. you're waiting to find out you've got cancer again and I thought i i can't I can't do that every year yeah, so I then had to decide um about preventative um or prophylactic double mastectomy um and we'll go into those a little bit later on because oh. they would happen all the way after. Uh, the chemo that I still had to go through, the radiation that I still had to go through, they would then be tagged on. um, Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yes. Mm. Um, Obviously then we assumed that this mutation had come from my father, from his mother, and we potentially knew it came from her father. Um, But they did test my mum. And they did genetically test my sister as well. But they both came back as not having the mutation to the gene. And if my family was any larger than three of us, then they would have tested um, further. Yeah, wow. They will test my son later on, but they don't test until 18. Right. And that's my biggest fear. Yeah,
0: that's understandable.
1: Yeah, so um take a minute no no i'm fine (laughs) okay Uh, so we did my third chemo um and this time i had real problems with the cold cap um and the pressure of the strap around my jaw i could feel it through the whole session almost jamming my bottom teeth into my top teeth which gave me a horrendous headache along with the the pressure of the cap on the skull. It almost feels like it's pressing all of your cranium together. Mm. I developed a hideous headache. I couldn't, I could hardly open my eyes by the end of that chemo session. And I thought I was gonna be mm. Um And I was, I was, I knew my hair was falling out and I was starting to wonder whether the cold cap was right whether it was worth it to keep going um and then the following week uh, we started my new chemo drugs and my weekly regime and this first session was when I met my chemo buddy Jane as I'm sure you can
0: hear in Mel's voice talking about this has been an emotional process we took a break and reconvened a week later
1: so I had my week off and then I started my new chemo drugs, um, a weekly regime. This first session was where I actually met my chemo buddy, a lady called Jane. She was a few he- weeks ahead of me, but we were both on the same uh, weekly Taxol and carboplatin. Um, we hit it off straight away. Jane stopped using the cold cap. After only two sessions, she had suffered from tinnitus. And with her support, I decided it was it was my turn to stop the cold cap I was not going to continue it wasn't worth the discomfort mm. Jane and I became best of friends during that first session we from then onwards we messaged every day I had someone who was going through the same as me and we both actually looked forward to catching up with each other at chemo we made sure they sat us together at every session from then onwards
0: that's so that we <laughs> reading that it's so <laughs> special it's so nice
1: yeah, and I think if in a normal situation without COVID, where there'd been lots of other people in the room, yeah. and we both had people with us, we wouldn't have had that connection and that support. So, Aww. COVID, thank you, because yeah. I <laughs> now from that, yeah. yeah. I've got through eight chemo sessions with no problems. I was still teaching each week and James was now back at school. So I was up making his breakfast and then after school helping with his homework, making tea, still taking the dogs out for a walk, sometimes 20 minutes. But that's fine. I still got some fresh air and I had to have an afternoon nap every day, which is fine. It could be a short one or it could be a few hours, but (laughs) rest when it's going through that what you needed yeah Um, yeah, it was coming up to the october half term it was the week before i was on my fifth paclitaxel and carboplatin of the week and it was this time that my neutrophils failed me they were too low for chemo i was sent home with five injections to boost my neutrophils for the following week so i came back the following week my neutrophils were still low but i was allowed chemo but not for long because about an hour into my pack oh a little while into my hour of paclitaxel i asked jane if i was getting a rash and she said yes so i called one of the nurses and all i can say is the chemo unit went into overdrive i was having an allergic reaction they were really worried i was going to have an anaphylactic reaction wow the curtains were drawn my chemo drugs were stopped, I had a saline flush through my system, my vitals were checked, an on-call doctor was called, a trolley came in with this black <laughs> on it. I mean, I must say I was feeling fine, but I was waiting for the crash cart to appear next. Oh my goodness. And poor Jane, the other side of the curtain, I don't know how she must, be, must have been feeling. Very scary, but actually I felt fine. They gave me antihistamines and my rash reduced. And they decided that obviously I was no longer going to have the paclitaxel. And from then onwards, I just had the remaining cycles of carboplatin. But it was very scary at the time. Mm -hmm. As in, uh, there was a lot that started to go out of your control. Yeah. And it was from this point onwards that my neutrophils struggled I was going then for a week of chemo and then they were too low and no chemo and five days of um, injections. I was turning into a pincushion and Colin was getting no better at administering these injections. Oh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> bruises across my stomach. <laughs> and it was after one of these chemo sessions, about seven o'clock at night, I started to notice that I was feeling hot. It's getting a temperature it started at 35 degrees 37 degrees sorry and I left it for about half an hour and then it was 38 degrees so I phoned the hotline and I was told to call 999 and get an ambulance it's a very scary thing to do if you've never called 999 before it feels naughty I only had a temperature I didn't feel anyway I did it called an ambulance especially at that time
0: yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs)
1: yeah yeah. should I shouldn't I (laughs) yes definitely so I was actually ambulanced into hospital I did get a trip in an ambulance and obviously I had a short Mm -hmm. wait in the ambulance bay and then I was assigned a room in A&E they obviously fitted his cannula they took bloods antibiotics were given and eventually about 3am in the morning they decided it was time for me to go home it was a safer place for me to be at home than to be at a hospital and as my Mm. temperature got back to normal they didn't think there was anything to worry about yeah gosh scary though yeah (laughs) it all happened around the same time yeah 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 By the beginning of December, Jane had her last chemo session. We were supposed to finish together on the same day, but I still had four to do now. Oh, <laughs> I know each week I was hoping it was going to be my last, but it wasn't yeah. Eventually, on the 28th of December. Um, it was my last session. But again, that day, my neutrophils were still too low. So I didn't actually have chemo, but I was luckily going into 2021 having finished my having done nine of the 12 of the carboplatin that I needed to do. I've been really lucky. I've had few side effects apart from my neutrophils going through chemo. Um, I'd obviously lost my hair, but actually since I'd stopped having the Paclitaxel, it had started coming back in the beginning of December. I'd actually decided to shave all of my hair off and actually by the end of December I started to have very soft um like a little velvet bunny fuzz yeah. the top of my head it was the softest thing in the world and I couldn't stop te- touching it yeah. <laughs> And luckily I wasn't seeing everyone because I just wanted everyone else just touch it it feels so- yeah <laughs> <laughs> I also had some of my eyelashes still and I had some of my eyebrows I was still walking the dog every day very slowly at some points and I was mm. still doing little bits of teaching. I'd put on quite a bit of weight during the chemo. i put on a good couple of chemos and I'd lost a lot of muscle mass. I'm very easily tired. My heart rate had gone from below 50 beats per minute to over 70 beats per minute. Wow. My sight had deteriorated, I now needed glasses. I've had an Epsom salt bath every night and used a lot of moisturiser to keep my skin looking good indigestion had been a real problem sleeping had been a real issue constipation I had spent a lot of time obviously lying on the floor breathing and stretching um but I hadn't had any of the symptoms you normally hear about through chemo I hadn't had any nausea I hadn't had any vomiting I hadn't had any diarrhea I had no neuropathy I hadn't had no nosebleeds no problems with my gums and teeth and I my nails had all survived chemo so I'd done really really well you don't know what side effects you're going to get and it is different for everyone and like I said my one golden rule is drink your two liters of water mm-hmm. Everything else can be dealt with sort of along the way so a few weeks after my last chemo session I had my appointment with my breast surgeon to discuss my preventative double mastectomy I was a bit concerned because it was only a few weeks ago away and obviously it should have been my last chemo the beginning of December so the middle of January would have been six weeks but Mm. it was only two weeks um, and I was worried about how my body would handle such a big surgery so soon after chemo. I obviously went into the appointment alone and my husband phoned in to join us for that appointment. Um unfortunately in the area COVID was rife at that time and I was told by my surgeon I probably wouldn't get permission to have a double mastectomy at this point I would probably only be allowed a single mastectomy on my active cancer side and the other side would have to be done at a later date I was devastated I think I could cope with that plan Yeah. yeah that sounds a bit
0: you know if you're going for a hip replacement to have one and then the other or even just the anticipation of it and having to go through that twice when you've already been through so much yeah
1: yeah so yeah. I actually went to my surgery and I said mentally I don't think I can do that I said I'm happy to keep both breasts I'm happy for you to take um both mm. breasts. but actually leaving me with one I didn't think I could handle. And those ladies that have to go through that have to talk to them. And um, somewhere along the way, I heard the term that they're referred to as unicorns. And I just love (laughs) that. (laughs) So my surgeon was actually okay about it. He um, said um, he'd expected that that everything that they'd thrown at me, I'd um, taken without a problem. But he did think this would be an issue for me. Um, Luckily at this point we were thinking about what the plan was and my husband piped up with could we do the radiation first and then leave the surgery for a few months after that, nearer the summer, hopefully Covid would have settled down a little bit and I could get the permission for that surgery. Um, He didn't see a problem with that. The final decision obviously had to go back to my multidisciplinary team to check whether that was the right thing to do. So I just had to go away and wait to hear what the next plan was. Um, At this point, um, I still wasn't able to see my scar lady. I was having a lot of nerve pain down my arm um, from the auxiliary clearance that I'd had. Um, and in this way, COVID hadn't helped me. That was the way, yeah. that, mm-hmm. you know, I'd hoped all the way through that I could see her and I could be better off this time. And COVID hadn't helped me in that way. She still wasn't able to work, yeah. 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 But I'd stayed teaching on Zoom and I'd managed to keep myself fairly strong and fairly mobile during that time. Um, I still hadn't been teaching anyone in person, um, and I think if I had been trying to do that, it would have been too much during that that period. So again, I'm pleased that covid was around and it had yeah. me um along the way. So yeah, so five weeks after my last chemo, I had my covid nineteen vaccination. and then a week after that, I had my first solodronic acid. and this is an infusion that you're given after chemo to strengthen your bones back up, which have been depleted during the chemo. So I had a couple of weeks where I was pretty laid up, um, after these, um, two treatments. Yeah. And during that first solidronic acid, I got to see obviously my oncologist and it was confirmed. I was allowed to have the radiation first and then the surgery later on. And it was at this point I was given, um, an aromatose inhibitor, a drug called electrazole, um, it's often given to post menopausal women um, when they've had breast cancer, an um, mm. uh, estrogen blocker. So it's there to block the estrogen. And because obviously at this point um, I still had my ovaries, they wanted to keep them dormant, which they've gone dormant through the chemo and they wanted that to continue right mm. through. Yeah. Mm. So um, I then obviously started my radiation. It was much easier this time. Um, I didn't have as many, I only had 15 treatments. My skin was fine this time. Again, I'd use the aloe vera from the fridge to cool and a lot of moisturizer. Um, I used E45 at the time, which again, I had another allergic reaction um, to that. Um, So I changed (laughs) again. Um, This time the radiation did make me feel tired um, but again, I was only a few weeks, probably 10 weeks out of having had my last chemo. So, you know, he's still recovering um, and will be for a long time. Mm. Towards May, I had my second COVID vaccination. So I was fully vaccinated at that point. And then I was allowed to be booked for my double mastectomy. So again, um, I finally got to see my surgeon to talk about my preventative double mastectomy. Um I was offered to speak to a plastic surgeon about reconstruction op- options, but I declined this. I'd done a lot of research in the time that I'd had and I knew I didn't want implants of any sort. I didn't want any foreign object in my body. I'd looked at mm. reconstruction options, the lap lap and the DF lap, and they were not happening. My lats and my rec were staying exactly where they were supposed to be in my body. <laughs>
0: do you think that's because of the knowledge that you have of your body as well or the the um the knowing in your body
1: yes and also I'm very lucky that I've seen clients along the way that have been through some of these reconstructions the implants the lap lap the dm so um yes I know that you, you still have issues along the way. Not that I don't still have issues along the way with the surgery mm-hmm. that I've chosen, but like I said, I didn't want an implant. Mm. I know um there are lots of issues with implants, and you never know whether you're going to be lucky with how that works or not. Yeah. And again, like I said, I wasn't going, you know, the muscles were put in my body in this place, as far as I'm concerned, because <laughs> they feel job for a reason it not to be access um aesthetically pleasing as a boo. to Mm. be honest as far as I'm concerned and that's no disrespect to anyone else Mm. but that's my that's my my feeling it they're then aesthetics aren't they so yeah yeah so yeah and then there I was also told about a New technique that they're doing a fat grafting where they take life or they liposuction from obviously tummy, inner thighs, those sorts of areas, and then they transfer it up to form a breast mound. Um, But I decided, again, I wasn't keen on this. This was multiple surgical sites that I would have to be dealing with. And you you still need them topped up over time because obviously the fat can get reabsorbed. So, again, I decided I wanted to go for a double mastectomy and I wanted to go for what was called an aesthetic flat closure. So I wanted to be completely flat when they normally do a lot of double mastectomies or even single mastectomies, they leave a certain amount of skin, a certain Mm. amount of tissue so that if you decide to go for reconstruction at a later date, it's easier for them to do that. And I decided I didn't want that. I wanted to be completely flat. Um, I wasn't gonna wear um, a prosthetic. Um, I was gonna embrace being flat and not having to wear a bra again. Super good to me. Oh my Especially gosh! In this hot weather, I don't yeah. Tonight <laughs> to go
0: shopping for a bra again. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. gosh! But a massive, massive decision to make. But it, it is the, the knowing you—you you know what's right for you at the time, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And you, and you have you—you you do have to decide on that. And I—I I was lucky that because this is preventive, I had a lot of time. To- mm look into the options and make my decisions. A lot of ladies, if this yeah. is part of their breast cancer diagnosis, might only have a matter of weeks to decide yeah. what is the best thing to do. And yeah. it's very easy to be pushed into, um, you know, even when I spoke to my breast surgeon, he I've even got paperwork that says I think she will change her mind this is not oh wow yeah so he didn't think it was the right thing to do so I can see that a lot of people will be pushed into it by being told Mm. best option and you you have to decide obviously what's right for you so Mm. yeah and a lot of these surgeries are then multiple surgeries yeah Yeah. you're putting yourself through a lot and that's not just obviously the surgery it's the risk of infection on some of these is really high the Mm. risk uh, tissue necrosis on some of these is obviously really high and uh, you know I've been through a lot I wanted this to be the last one I you know still crossed, the last one that I go through Mm. Uh, and the, the so, the final reason that I decided this was the best thing to do is I've got a much better chance now of finding a lump if I get a lump again. When you've had a, all of these surgeries, there's no screening process afterwards. So, you don't then get yearly mammograms, they don't wow. do any sort of screening. So, you know, you could still get another cancer behind any. Um, implants or any even if you're Mm. an issue behind that how you know my thought was how are you supposed to find that at least now I've got a really good chance of finding anything at a really early stage you know because you know I was told you know they were able to treat it this time but necessarily if i get it again they can't possibly treat it so in my head i had to give myself the best chance of being able to find a lump again if need be yeah, yeah. so yeah so i had um my double mastectomy yeah <laughs> yeah So I had my double mastectomy. I'd obviously had two weeks of self-isolation again beforehand um, and the surgery took two and a half hours. I had four drains this time. I cannot tell you how upset my son was to find out. I gonna be again, (laughs) yeah.
0: Oh, I can just see that in your face as you said those words. (laughs)
1: Yeah (laughs) so the surgery went really well and at the same time he took out the chest port I had from the chemo so he did everything in one surgery. Um, I woke up obviously in recovery um, back in my and then was taken back to my room and I had two drains hooked on each side of the bed and my feet were in a compression machine you know those bits that go round and they pump air in and keep your feet okay. in. Yeah. I was actually strapped to the bed and going nowhere without help at mm-hmm. all <laughs> I had because I had to look I had to know what it looked like I had two little smiley face incisions um on my chest they're not little They almost go from the centre, there's a little gap in the centre, all the way up underneath my armpits. They were held in place with sterry strips that I had line, a straight line drawn down the front of my chest. But he had done um, a really good job. It's not completely flat, but I think I have to take my hat off to someone who's gone, you know, I was well over a 34 double D to go to completely flat and for someone to that up, I have a really clean finish that I I am happy with. You know, I I can't I can't fault the job he did, even though he didn't think it was the right thing to do. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I had uh, two nights in the hospital, and every time I needed to get up for the toilet, I had to be unplugged, and someone had to carry everything with me. Yeah. My chest area was completely numb and tight um it's described as an iron bra um the the feeling literally if I touched it was just solid all of the muscles underneath everywhere was solid there was no give in any um of the skin I could hardly breathe into that area at all it was just um yeah it was a very strange sensation yeah
0: you um Described when we were in that book club mail about that feeling and just the words that you said. Do you remember what you said? No, you tell me. Remind me. Um, about a cheese wire. Oh yeah, around your
1: um yeah. your rib cage. Yeah. So that happened about two weeks after ah. I actually had the surgery. The oh, cheese okay. wire feeling. Um yeah. So I'll go over that in a minute. Oh, sure, sure. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> well. <laughs> yes yeah, so i had two nights in hospital um and uh after those two nights they took out two of the drains one on each side and a friend of mine had made me um a little belt that went around my waist with two little pockets and i could put my little drains in my pocket something to carry those in so i didn't have to carry one in each hand for the next couple of weeks which mm. meant i could do anything and i could use my arms i couldn't mm. move very far. And again, I still had all those exercises that I'd had from the first and the second and the third surgery. They were exactly the same ones to be doing um, again. And eventually, after uh, nearly two weeks, the last drain was removed. Again, they're waiting for that 20 to 30 mils of fluid in a 24 hour period to be less. um Yeah. And uh, at that appointment, the stereo strips were peeled off. And I was obviously allowed to go home and have a shower and take off those compression mm. socks. I'd well and truly seen enough of those. Yeah. Yeah. And the histology had come back and there had been no cancer found in any of that tissue that they'd they'd removed, which is obviously really good news. Mm. And um, actually they'd removed over a kilo of tissue on each side. So that was quite a lot of boob. Um, <laughs> Mm. and actually even at that point I'd noticed that it felt very different through my neck and my shoulders sort of oh, that wow. pull forward um yeah or not having that pull forward um yeah it was very different yeah, yeah. So it was at this point that obviously I was starting to feel like I could move a little bit more but I was restricted by what felt like a cheese whack well. wow across my chest yeah so where all of those stereo strips had been obviously there was glue underneath them and then internally there are stitches mm. and it was all of that that I think that I could feel that was holding everything in place and although I could move a little bit that was not moving at all and it's that cheese wire feeling is the only way I can sort of just de- describe it Um, And I think gradually, as those internal stitches began to dissolve and the external glue began to come off, it started to ease. But it did take a long time for that to sort of ease off. Hmm. And during this time, I was getting strange flutterings across the whole of my chest area. And the only way I can describe it is, you know, when your eye does that little flutter. Yes. (laughs) All across my chest was that feeling and I think obviously where they'd gone in and um scraped all the breast tissue off, I guess the fascia and the the pecs and all of that, it was where it was all um coming back to life. Does that make sense? Their sensations yeah. were coming back. Um yeah, I could definitely tell you that your boobs are much more insulating than you think you are. I felt a lot. <laughs> um a lot of the time um and actually very strangely you can feel drinks going down all the way down your esophagus oh wow and some people say they can feel hot drinks yeah and even now still sometimes I can I can feel that sensation of it going all the way down I guess without some of the insulation yeah yes Mm, yeah that makes sense <laughs> so once it all healed and it did take quite a long time for some of the last areas of little scabs to sort of heal off I started using a scar cream cream recommended um by my scar therapist um and I'll make sure that you've got all those details Kat. So um, oh yeah we'll add that to the yeah, show notes. Yeah. yeah that'd be great so again I was spending a lot of time lying on the floor I was now trying to breathe I realized that that whole area and the whole of my rib cage was just locked up it was flared out at the front and very weirdly I had around my sternum it was pulling out it was lifted Um, and again I think Partly, it's that I have a slightly prominent area there, um, which you wouldn't notice normally behind. Okay, yeah. Um, But also when everything gets very tight, it tends to pull out a little bit more. Um, Yeah. So I was spending a lot of time just trying to lie on the floor, just trying to breathe, trying to soften through my breastbone. Um again, I was doing all of that, just trying to lie on the floor and moving my arms out to the side because the scars do go all the way up underneath my armpit, right up into a real pucker right um, at the top. Um, When I was out walking, I was trying to make sure that I was allowing that rotation through my rib cage. I was trying to allow my arms to swing. I was just trying to let my body just try and move and try and heal itself. You know, just using all of the knowledge that we have with all of the exercises that we know to do whatever, you know, that I could to try and begin to get everything moving um releasing stretching yeah like massaging that area
0: with you know not a hands-on thing but actually just moving to massage it breathing to massage yeah
1: yeah that's right and um yeah my my scar lady had got me you know just using one of our little balls trying to just roll the ball really without any pressure down towards the scars and up towards the scars encouraging sort of flow of, of movement. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Well, I suppose that's lymph drainage as well. Um, and feeling, like feeling it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Because it belonged to you again.
1: Yeah, well, it was something she said that I'd never really thought about. Um, you know, all of my other scars, they'd made an incision taken out whatever it was, and then sewn back up. The skin had memory of being next to each other. These mm. scars do not have any memory of being connected to each other. Wow. yeah. If you think about it, they're a very different scar um, in that way. Does that make sense? They've, yeah. You know, the connections are obviously not in the same place to connect them into. They've got new neighbors. Find whole new patterns. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, you know, it's almost mind blowing, isn't it? When you think yeah. that, isn't it? You know, yeah. <laughs> Which then then it
0: needs, it kind of needs your, like the, the touch stuff, like the love and the care to be like, it's okay. Like your new neighbors are all right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. talk to each other.
1: Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that's where you have to think about. That's where they're, you know, they are going to take a lot longer to heal up. They probably aren't going to look like normal perfect scars because they're not meant to be next to each other really yeah so um yeah like rather than
0: uh, well with the wetsuit idea it's like you've taken a bit out of the wetsuit and now you've sewn it back up yes what does that now look like yes yeah that's really beautiful yeah
1: yeah um so um you know, the weeks were passing by and obviously, um, I was doing all my stretching. I was doing a lot of resting. Um, I was starting to get a lot of pain in my joints, mainly my hands and my feet and my hips. Mm. Um, and eventually, uh, we worked out that it was down to this letrozole drug that I was taking this aromatose inhibitor to reduce the estrogen in my body. And by Joint pain. I mean, in the morning I would have to click my thumbs back into place. Oof. I couldn't open a jar, even if it had been opened before I had I was starting to get no grip strength. I couldn't sit on the floor cross-legged. Um I I my feet in the mornings, I was like, or if I got up in the night, or if I moved, <laughs> I was like a platypus. They were completely flat, you know, there was no movement in them. I could obviously get certain bits moving a little bit throughout the day so I could still fairly well, but I can see how people as they age fall because I did not have any movement in my feet. Um, And if I sat down and tried to get up, I was like an old woman, you know, trying to get myself up out of the chair um, and I was starting to get nerve pain down one of my legs. Um, I obviously went and saw an osteo and he did quite a lot of work, but it just didn't really make any difference. Um, So at my next um, zoolodronic acid, which was in August, um, I obviously spoke to my oncologist and we discussed it and we decided to change to another aromatose inhibitor. Um, he also wanted me to start taking glucosamine and chondritin. He said it would take several weeks to kick into your system, but that might help along the way. But actually almost as soon as I stopped taking it, um, the joint pain um, eased. It didn't go away. I was still struggling a lot with it, but it wasn't as um, bad. Um,
0: that's actually really interesting to know because i had a client who was having a fibroid removed and whether it was this drug or not i'm not sure but what she was given of course is um inhibiting like you say the um the ovaries and and kind of putting her into what you'd think of as menopause you know menopausal symptoms and um I remember at the time, her. You know, she's. I'm so. I feel so stiff. I feel like I'm drying up. I feel like, you know, something is massively changing. So it just really goes to show what that does for us, and also what, um, you know, the 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 benefit of moving, of course, like we say to like massage everything. Yeah. But this can have just such a huge impact. It. it I, I'm just picturing it almost like yeah, d- drying everything up, and and you yeah. can't oil it. <laughs>
1: It's a real eye-opener to, you know, menopause and mm. obviously what some ladies um, are going through. Yeah. Inhibitors that block all of your estrogen in your body. Obviously, estrogen is produced, obviously, in your ovaries, but we actually produce it in our adrenal gland a little bit as well. So even though I've had my ovaries removed, I still have a small... Cool. Does that make sense? And obviously, you know, when you go through menopause, you still have obviously a certain amount and it's stored Mm. in body fat and things like that. So, you know, even though you've gone through menopause, you still will have a certain amount of estrogen. Mm. These inhibitors block it completely. So, this is Mm. no estrogen. Yeah. So, it exacerbates a lot of those symptoms. Does that make sense? It does um and mm. I was obviously very lucky that I was allowed to change and again I was allowed to notice the difference um yeah and know my body well enough you know I knew I'd gone through chemo and I could mm. still do all of these things you know so something had changed at some yeah. point after the chemo that meant this and the only thing that was was the, these drugs that I was then um taking yeah, yeah. So again, it was me going in and saying it's it's too much. I can't Mm. it for a while, obviously, because I've had the double mastectomy. I was like, oh, it's just because I've had this surgery, you know, it's affecting me in this way. But as time went on, I realized, actually, no, it's not from the surgery. It can't be from the surgery Anymore, it can't be affecting my you know my breast surgery can't be affecting my hips my feet and my hands in this yeah Yeah. um so yeah very interesting I'll go I think I go a little bit more on into it because obviously um I have actually changed several times as to what what yeah so um Jane and I at the end of our chemo session had decided we needed to do something after chemo to almost celebrate that goal. And we decided that what we were going to do was we were going to raise money for our local hospital. Um, that our we both had the same breast surgeon, that our breast surgeon had a charity. They were trying to. Um, fund a specialist breast cancer research nurse for our local hospital and the charity is called BRAS breast research and supports and uh, we decided we were going to do what they call the twilight walk so uh, our local mall airfield here they do a walk at twilight or a run and it was in early September which was literally 12 weeks after my breast surgery this event was to be and Jaina decided she was going to walk she had a lot of neuropathy in her feet um, so she decided she was going to walk but mm. me, me I decided I was going to run and I was going to run 10k I was going to do the full event so oh my eight weeks after my surgery I started running and I built myself up um, to running eight kilometers I did it in an hour on the Monday before the event on the Saturday oh. I knew it would take me longer, but I knew I could do this. I took I,
0: your hips and your feet were feeling a bit better by that point.
1: <laughs> still when I was, yeah, no, um, oh. no, but I did it. And I was buoyed on by yeah. the other runners and the walkers and the crowd. It oh took and six minutes. I still had nerve pain going down my leg, but I was not going to let this, yeah. so proud of myself and Jane, and a friend who has metastatic breast cancer. Yeah. She brought, we raised over 3,000 pounds. So yeah.
0: That is awesome
1: amazing. <laughs> <breast>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <A bit>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually they've raised the whole amount now that we now um, have our research breast nurse at the local hospital, which is- Oh, wow. Yeah. Brilliant. Amazing. So this was September, and um, so September 2021, and I finally got back to teaching in person. Just a couple of math classes a week. I reopened my studio and I just started only doing a few hours of teaching a day. Um, That must have felt, um, well, how did that feel? Oh, just just brilliant. See people again and teach people in person. Again, um, you know, I was very lucky that I was supported on Zoom by a lot of my clients through um, all of my treatment. And I can never thank them enough for that. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, I was now 12 weeks past my double mastectomy and I was finally allowed to see um my scar lady again to work on mm-hmm. my range of movement my posture and obviously all of the surgery that i've been um through we started working obviously on trying to get my diaphragm working properly mm-hmm. we realized i had a lot of tension in my jaw and my neck i was clenching my teeth a lot um and um, obviously from the surgery I had a lot of puckering underneath um, my armpit um, and she started to do a lot of work um, on that um, a lot of um, like I said before brushing tapping, mm. moving that fascia around I mean she Uh, I think the drain sites which I've mentioned before she'd put her finger in the drain site and she'd go oh I can feel it all fizzing but I could feel it almost like a little whirlwind sort of wrapping around um yes strange um sensations yeah yeah uh, yeah so again I was lucky to get back into sort of um more of normality really start to feel you know more normal again Mm. um so obviously i've had that zoledronic acid at the end of um august and they changed my letrozole to a new drug called anastrozole it was still causing me the joint pain but obviously not as bad as the letrozole but enough for me to be struggling and enough for me to think can i continue teaching um it really was um you know when you're teaching and actually your clients are doing more than you are, you do start to get to a point where you think, uh, is this, is this, mm. yeah. And
0: were you, or had you been for class yourself? No. In that
1: time, yeah. No, no. There's not many teachers around sort of this sure. area. Mm. You know? um, no, I've just been doing it all, all by myself, yeah. Which
0: um, I can understand doing that at that point, almost investigating what what can and can I not do. Yes. I'm, I'm not saying that going for class is going to you know change yes. anything necessarily, but um, just well, wondering. it's someone
1: else that sees you from a different perspective, mm. isn't it? Because mm. you know I can't see what's going on, all of the you know the torsions, all of the pulling, yeah. all the twisting that is actually going on. Mm. I must say, I still do a lot of just breathing, a lot of just stretching, a lot of very gentle stuff. I'm still, even now being very, I suppose you would say kind to myself. I realize he mm. has been through a lot. Um, and yes, I'm back to teaching, but actually I really can't put too much else in my schedule. I do still tire very easily although i did this running event um and i do occasionally try and go out and run um and i do love it but i do realize that i very quickly now um struggle I definitely yeah. my immune system is not as strong at, at handling things and i have to balance what what's right so yes i yeah. still only teach yeah. hours a day um, and my priority is obviously looking after James and and yourself and myself yes yeah yeah totally, totally. <laughs> but i still had one more surgery to go so yes. i still had, <laughs> this isn't over yet <laughs> i still had to have uh my ovaries re- removed um and that was due for the end um of october my bilateral salpingo oophorectomy just love those words it just sounds bad doesn't it so both sides sides, I was having my ovaries and my fallopian tubes removed as part of a preventative but ovarian cancer um I was actually really really worried about this surgery much more worried about this one than any other of the surgeries I knew it was going to be keyhole but it was abdominal surgery and Mm. abdominals Had kept me strong through all of this. (laughs) (laughs) I looked at it and it just—I was—I was was just very worried. Mm. What would support me if I had another surgery? Mm. I didn't have anything to worry about. It was probably the easiest surgery. Um, I'm going to go into it. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So I had two small incisions, about an inch or so inside my hip bones, and an incision in my belly button. So basically, they put a camera in your belly button, and then they go in and cut off, obviously, your ovaries and your tubes. They then put them in a little bag inside you, and then they pull it out through your belly button. (laughs) it's just magic That's great. Like, yeah and i actually have pictures my my gynecologist gave me pictures of all of the surgery through which is very yeah very yeah. weird being able to see the inside of you yeah yeah <laughs> wow yes um And it was was fine. I didn't have any any real issues. I was able to get up and move without really any discomfort very easily. Obviously, I was worried there might be um, a lot of bloating, obviously, with a lot of these surgeries. But obviously, Mm. gas inside you or air inside you, so they create space so they can do these surgeries. But I didn't have any problems with any of that. And actually, at this surgery, without my oncologist knowing, I stopped taking the anastrozole. I decided my ovaries were being removed. I didn't need an oestrogen yeah. uh, inhibitor anymore. Um, so I actually stopped taking them. And um, to be quite honest, the joint pain went um, almost completely. Mm, um, good yeah i did let my i obviously did let my oncologist know <laughs> not that naughty <laughs> um, not well for a little bit you yeah weeks you know for an email to go through yeah anyway yeah. He asked me to try a third aromatose inhibitor called xms stain and i literally lasted a week on this one or it might have been a bit longer but I did not sleep or I felt like I did not sleep for the amount of time that I was on that. And I was starting to feel like I couldn't function at all. And I was just like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it anymore. So, um, obviously, um, I did speak to my oncologist and we did have um, a big long chat about my risks of reoccurrence and everything that was, um, going on. So, um, I was told, and um, obviously it is different for everyone, my risk of reoccurrence is a 10% risk of reoccurrence of my breast cancer. Obviously, I don't have my ovaries, so I have zero, virtually zero risk of ovarian cancer. Mm. Um, and these um, aromatose inhibitors reduce my risk by, I believe, 1%. And I decided for one mm. happy to take this risk. And, um, yeah, so I don't take any medication. Um, and you' normally um, asked to take these for five to ten years after a normal breast cancer. I would have obviously been asked to take these probably um, continuously, but I decided that I, I wasn't I wasn't prepared so I was happy to take that risk um, Yeah. So, yeah so where am i now so we are now what a, a year from my double mastectomy and nearly eight months on from my uh, bilateral salapingo oophorectomy <laughs> I have, saying, yeah. yeah i know i have three more zolodronic acid infusions to go and they'll finish in september uh, just before september 2023 so there are no screening options for me so i have to check my breasts for lumps myself mm. yeah so yeah there is um obviously a chance i could still get breast cancer but actually 10 percent is still roughly the same chance that maybe you have of getting breast cancer so i think that's fine and compared
0: with where you were this is uh, where you need
1: to deal with along the way is you know absolutely yeah i have to deal with it isn't it yeah rethink things then if i I need to, yeah. Yes. So I'm obviously in what they call surgical menopause now. So I do still suffer from um, obviously joint pain in my feet, um, my hands, especially when it gets hot. Um, my swells up underneath my right armpit from those lymph nodes down my arm into my hand. Obviously, uh, my sleep is a big problem. That's the biggest sort of menopause symptom that I'm noticing that I have a problem. It's very intermittent. Mm. Um, I can get too hot, but I can also get too cold. Um, But I don't have a sort of like hot flushes or night sweats in that way. Um, Now my nails are really suffering. Um, My skin is obviously, you know, starting to crepe, if that makes sense. That sort of, it's not as full as it used to be yeah um like I said I tire very easily and my immune system is definitely not as strong Mm. uh, yeah vaginal atrophy Mm. yeah yeah so I do take vaginal estrogen um too much information for some yeah but yes I'm, I'm not allowed HRT or at the moment the research is not there um to give me HRT as a sort of patch or a tablet. Mm. Uh, you know, there's still the very old research which has been um, refuted. Um that, that HRT causes breast cancer is obviously not true, but obviously because mine is slightly different being genetically based, there's just not the research out there at the moment to say yes or no, I'm um, I don't know because I've never asked, but mm. I might be allowed some if I desperately wanted some. Mm. But actually, my symptoms at the moment are not so bad that I cannot deal with them. They're not inhibiting my life as some of the drugs that I've been on. Yeah. There's um, a book that I read
0: um, me, and my menopausal vagina. Yeah which if you are interested in any of that that's a great book to a read book. yeah Is that our
1: next book club book
0: then yeah maybe <laughs> I can't wait to discuss that one what?
1: yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah everyone, everyone needs a glass of wine on that one <laughs> yeah
0: maybe about being recorded as well <laughs> <laughs>
1: So um, I see my scar therapist now every sort of four to six weeks, and I obviously will continue to. Mm. Um, it doesn't move obviously as normal skin would move because of the scar. And like I said, because this is um a slightly different scar, I don't know how she would quite describe it. There's probably terms that they use, but I don't know what they are. Mm. Yeah, I still get areas that are what she calls tied, they're held in place. Um, we still every so often get uh dissolvable stitches coming up or that obviously haven't dissolved. Oh, wow! Um, yeah, they come to the, the, surface. the surface, yeah. I just have to wait for them to sort of come out. Um, yeah, I, I just yeah. What's, um...
0: I'm, as long as she doesn't mind, but what's your therapist's name?
1: So her name is Sarah Sewell.
0: Yes. So, yeah. We'll so. have to maybe share her details. I've yes. I to look into, you yeah. know, if she's got any um, information online, it'd be interesting to sort of yeah. get an idea of her yeah.
1: background as well, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, she deals with obviously oncology scars, but scars, abdominal scars, as well as, you know, even muscle tears poor scars where things don't heal up properly so she deals yeah. with all of those and the fascia obviously um of the body it's an exciting area I think that mm. um yeah maybe it's something we find out more about and maybe you speak to her at some point I don't know yeah that could be great yeah um so yeah so that's where you know I am now and actually Sarah and I would like in the future to obviously team up and help mm. in mean, going through this, finding a way that we can put our knowledge um, together. Um, amazing. Support other people through yeah. uh, this treatment, yeah. Yeah,
0: amazing. Garmelle, just so much and, and you know, if we, to look at it in, in this sense, in terms of the scar work and yeah. the work on your body, um, you know you've only just finished going through yeah. what you've been going through you've still got such a a way yeah. to go isn't it and it's um, oh, I kind know, of hate the phrase but it's the journey
1: I've still got a long way yeah. in my um, getting myself back really isn't it mm. in my recovery um, you know from this I think I think it It's not a journey that ends, uh, or for me, it's not going to be a journey that ends, I suppose, because I am someone that works with bodies and, um, you know, I want to continue with that in the future. I think that's really important, you know. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, inquiring into more in terms, like like I said, with the movement, you know, oh, what happens when I do this? Or how does that feel? And, and what does that really mean? And I think that's um, the Living Wet, just coming back to the Living Wetsuit book, um, it really, I suppose, simplified that idea of fascia.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and, you know, where we've got restrictions or torsions um, and you know what? I've got a client who's had a, a mastectomy, a single mastectomy, yeah. and um, you can really see that in her body. And that makes, I mean, I haven't seen her for a little while actually, but it makes me, you know, just having that knowledge about it. And that's partly why we wanted to do this podcast, having the knowledge about it, just to get a bit of background, that if you had to come to that decision yourself, you have just those little like bite-sized pieces of information to actually then go and find out more which in some ways being a pilates teacher yourself having a knowledge having an interest of the body and your body you and okay, okay of course you had time to go and think and research and do we ever know the right answer not necessarily but you you know you chose what was right for you at the time and i think it's just Incredible what you've been through in such a short amount of time, really. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, the work that is still to come.
1: <laughs> yeah. In terms
0: yeah, of I, think,
1: I mean, I want to try and explore some of that. How I've had to adapt things in the way that my body moves to get me through some of these treatments in the in the Zoom session that I'm doing with you guys. Um, mm-hmm on um, to yes. see adapted some of those things so that I could still um, move, still teach, still do all of that along the mm. way. Um, yeah. So
0: I think you've kind of covered really uh, as we've gone on how Pilates has helped you and how it's maybe helping with your recovery but do you think you've got anything else to add in terms of that kind of work?
1: Um, no, I think, um, not specifically, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. same. you have to look at the person that's in front of you and what they have had, you know, done to them along the mm. way. You know, there are, you know, some people that just want to plow through and get through this. Does that mm. make sense? And not let them hold them back. Yeah. Um, you know, you you have to deal with that person, or, or there's going to be the person that's very fearful of doing absolutely mm. this surgery, and it's not, it's not one fit all. It's you know the same as all of our teaching, isn't it? It's
0: yeah, you
1: have to um, assess what's in front of you and work with with that. But you know, Pilates makes a huge. A huge difference I don't you know I don't know where I would be if I hadn't had my priorities knowledge um, yeah I think I would be taking a lot of medication um you know I think I would probably still be taking some of these aromacose inhibitors I think mm. the um um you know a lot of things like amitriptyline for nerve pain um yeah
0: yeah, embodying your body to understand your yeah. body, just that little bit more, yeah. hopefully a lot more, yeah. And um, I, I'm sure we could just keep going, but has there been anything else that assisted your recovery that you'd maybe recommend to others?
1: Um, So definitely some sort of scar therapy to mm. sort out what has been done to 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 get the fascia back as best you can yeah yeah i think we have on the other podcast a link to um the scar workers website which you'll be able to put in where it's local um to you that you can you you can go and see and you know i know my friend jane she saw the scar lady for five or six sessions and then she she felt that was fine for her. She mm. felt well connected to her to her breast cancer treatment. And she she, didn't want much, she wanted to step away out of that. And she realizes at some point she may need to go back to it. But at the moment, it's too much of a reminder of yeah. what's going on. Um, so it's not that you need to stay doing some of these things long term, but I do realize that as someone who does work with their body all the time. Mm is a good thing for me to be continuing with and i i have other ladies that have been through you know other breast cancer journeys and again they continue to see um the star ladies so yeah, yeah that is definitely sort of yeah ongoing for me and probably, yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah a, f- a forever thing even if it's once a year eventually if that you yeah. yeah.
1: have to decide what's right yeah, yeah yeah
0: definitely yeah how it feels yeah
1: yeah so i, I yeah. really want to say to, to finish up with obviously thank you cat for this um for oh gosh together. it's you it's not me <laughs> um go and check your boobs make sure you do it regularly
0: yeah sure
1: you teach your children to do this
0: yeah, yeah.
1: that is the big take from this to, to teach others
0: how to do this yeah and talk talk to people about it talk to friends about it have you have you done that yeah that's what i found with friends of mine have you actually thought about investigating this further don't just sit on it don't just you know i'm not saying i've got a friend who has done that but actually do it and if you're not sure act on it yes yeah, and that whole that I that whole thing of do I or don't I ring an ambulance? Okay, you're not ringing an ambulance, but yes, you can call the doctors, and yes, you can, you 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 have permission. Like you can go and do that. You have to do something about it sooner yeah. rather than later.
1: In your breast, up around your collarbone, underneath your armpit, do not hesitate to phone your doctor and get an appointment to see them. You know, it's. Yeah, it's the difference between it being able to be treated and you potentially, indeed- mm. yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mel, so much yeah. um, for sharing so much of your journey with us. So I have one more really thing incredible. I'll try
1: and get through it, Yes. Yeah. the fighters, admire the survivors Honor those taken. I can never give up hope of Brooklyn. Oh, yeah.
0: Thank you so, so much, Mel.
1: No problem. Thank you, Cat.